This morning's scripture is from 1 John 1, 1 through 4. Will you please stand for the reading of God's word? 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest when we have seen it, and testify to and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Good morning, good morning. Thank you for uh, worshiping with us. Um, at Delta. As Tom said, what we're going to be doing is um, wrapping up. Um, we've wrapped up our series in 1 Corinthians 15, and we're moving into a new, a new series today. Um, and, and so what I'm about to say, so hopefully a church is a place where you can be honest, right, and come. And so just in the, the spirit of full disclosure, uh, anyone else just distracted this morning? Me? Literally nobody raised their hand right then. So, well, see you guys. I'm going to go home now. I don't even know what I'm doing here. Um, so, so this morning was just an extremely distracting morning for me. Um, the, the phrase I use downstairs um, when we come together and pray um, before we go upstairs and worship and prepare to serve and love Christ and all these different things we're doing, the, the phrase I use is this, my flesh and blood is here, but I feel like my mind is anywhere but here. Um, and there's times when we just come to church and that's just true of us. Right? We know what is right. You know, we're supposed to have no problems in coming to church and everything's supposed to be great and fine and grand. But oftentimes we'd come and just life has happened, distractions have happened. Um, you're singing the words, but like you're not really feeling the words. You know what's being said, but it's like that, that just feels so not true of me right now. And so what I want to do is just pray for us um, that, you know, Pastor John feels these things as well sometimes on Sunday mornings. And before we just turn our attention to the words of Christ from this letter that we're going to start studying today, the letter of 1 John, um, I just want to pray for us that um, whatever is distracting you, like sometimes preachers will say this, hey, just act like it's not happening and check it at the door so when you come in to the church, everything's just fine. Like I really think that's just anti-gospel. Like the good news of Christ is you don't check your stuff at the door and come to Jesus. You bring your junk with you to Jesus and you check it at the foot of the cross. Is what it lo- that's what the gospel says. So I'm just going to invite you to just join me in this right now. Short, simple, sweet prayer. Whatever is distracting you that we would just come and just and, and in your mind's eye, just in a sense, just like look at Jesus and just be like, listen, I just need you um, to help me right now with distraction. Um, help me to think clearly um, in regard to the words of Christ, so that way we can hear what Jesus has to say to us from, from these words. So, will you join me with that this morning? God, I thank you for the way that you are um, the Lord who even rules and reigns in the midst of distraction. And so my prayer is this, that you would help me to think clearly Father, we believe in the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit desires to honor Jesus more than we ever possibly could. So Holy Spirit, come. Um, We don't check our distractions at the door and come in with plastic Christian faces acting like the world is just fine. What we do is we bring these distractions to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, you're the one who can speak life even into the midst of these distractions. So Father, help us in these things for your name's sake and for your glory. Amen.
So here we are, um, 1 Corinthians 15 is done, um, and we've wrapped up that series. We're moving into a new series, 1 John. Um, and hopefully what you'll see up on the screen there is the, the tagline that we're giving this is living in the light and love of God. Um, and what we're going to do over the next multiple, multiple weeks is do what we do as Delta Church. Um, I don't come up to you with some sort of novel way of thinking. I'm not trying to come to you with wise words rooted in the wisdom of Jonathan Davis. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to seek to set ourselves underneath the authority of the words of Christ, specifically um, up until the month of August, actually, under the words of First John. And so my hope this morning is going to be twofold. Um, what I want to do is um, set before you why we need to give ourselves to the study of First John. See, some of us just might think, well, of course we're just going to do this because this is sort of like just what you do at church. Like, I'm supposed to come, I'm just supposed to sit, this guy's supposed to talk for a while, I'm supposed to like get a little bit bored and then hopefully he'll wrap up sooner rather than later and then we can just go home. Like, that's just what church is about. But what I want to do this morning is set before you something a little bit different. I think what we are supposed to do when we come to the Scriptures is see that the reason why we submit ourselves under the authority of the Scriptures is because life is found in the Scriptures. God speaks to us through the Scriptures. And if you've ever gone fishing before, um, I want to use two pieces of terminology um, that really, I think, help clarify with what I want to do this morning. And then we're going to say a couple of things about these first four verses at the end. If you've ever gone fishing, what you inevitably have to do is you have to bait the hook and you have to set the hook, right? And so if you've gone just fishing, bobber, um, hook on the end, uh, you've got to get out the worm, you've got to thread the worm on the hook. That's called baiting the hook. But just because you bait the hook doesn't mean you're actually going to do anything with it. It's not enough just to bait the hook and be like, man, let's go fishing. It's like, bro, you've got to cast that thing. You need something to bite that hook and you need to set the hook, get it hooked into the fish's mouth. It was not calling you guys fish, me a fisherman or anything like that, but what my hope is to do this morning is to um, bait the hook, in so, in, in a, so to speak, and then also to set the hook, to try to draw you into why it is important for us to journey together over the next multiple sets of weeks and give ourselves to the study of John's first letter. So if you can remember back to your junior high days in your literature class, most likely your teacher taught you something, at least for my school where I grew up, it was something called the journalistic questions, right? So like if you're reading a short story or a novel, an article or anything, like, right, if you just wanted to get down to the, the nutshell essence of what any story is saying, you can just ask questions like, you know, who is in the story, what was being said, when, where, how, why, like... If you're a good news reporter, you show up on the scene of the crash, if you ask these questions, you can get the bare-bone information that is necessary to be able to report something. It helps you figure out what is being said and who is saying it and why were they saying it, where were they saying it, when were they saying it, and all these sorts of things. And when you read literature, um, these are just become simple tools for us. Um, but the good news is that these simple tools, these journalistic questions, they're just equally good tools for us when we approach the Bible. Um, and these are questions we can ask of any verse, of any chapter, of any book, Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter. When you go to it and you're just like, man, I'm just trying to learn how to study the Bible. Like, I just don't really know what I'm supposed to do when I open the Bible. Like, I read it and it's just stuff's going on. Like, how do I 
begin to understand what is being said? Well, one of the ways is this. You can just ask these journalistic questions. So if we reach into this bag of journalistic questions and we pull some out so that we can begin to understand what is going on in 1 John, I think what we can do this morning is reach into this bag and pull out at least three of those questions. What, why, and how? What, why, and how? Now, the what and the how are pretty easily answered. When we ask this question, okay, how can we better understand 1 John? Why should we give ourselves over to the study of 1 John? You say, what are we going to do and how are we going to do it? It's pretty straightforward. What we're going to do is for the next four and a half months is we're going to study 1 John. And how we're going to do it is what you're going to see us do this morning. We're just going to divide it up into sections of thought and we're going to march through it. That's what we do as, as a church. But the why question is the question that really needs to be answered by us this morning as we seek to begin to study First John. And in order for us to get a full understanding of this why question, why we should study this book of the Bible, I want you to think about four things. And they're just four words um, that might help you just grab some, some categories of thought, some some hooks to hang your thoughts on on why we should study First John together and give ourselves over to this, whether you're a believer in Christ or whether you're an unbeliever or whether you just find yourself somewhere in between. And these four words are this, problem, pastoral, purpose, and a word that does not begin with P, assurance. So, man, I tried my hardest to find a word for assurance that begins with the letter P. I have failed you as a pastor, but problem, pastoral, purpose, and assurance. And I think what's going to happen is these little categories, problem, pastoral, purpose, assurance, help us to understand this why question. Why should I listen to him? Why should I read this letter? Why should we study this? What is this guy, this disciple named John, who wrote this letter some 2,000 years ago, like why does this matter for me, April 2016 in Springfield, Illinois? And I think what we're going to do is see, see some answers, um, some categories begin to form through these four words. So the first thing is this, problem. What we need to understand is that there was a problem going on um, in the lives of the readers that John was writing to. So if you remember, when we were studying 1 Corinthians 15, Paul wrote a letter to this church because there was an internal problem that was going on. Specifically in 1 Corinthians 15, these Christians in Corinth were thinking wrongly about the resurrection. They were part of a church. There was some wrong thinking by these Christians within this church. And so Paul wrote to them saying, no, don't think this way. Think this way. This is the right way to think about the resurrection. But when you come to 1 John, there is also a problem. But rather than the problem being internal, the problem is external. There's an external problem that is going on. In the churches that John wrote to, there were false teachers who had infiltrated the church. They were coming and saying, yes, we are Christians, but they were coming with sort of this progressive way of thinking, you know, we have some new things about Jesus we need to teach you. And John called them false prophets. They were trying to deceive the believers in these churches that were under the pastoral care of the apostle John. And John says these false prophets, these false teachers... Their, their main beef revolved around two different things. They were, came into the church and they were teaching these things as truths, even though they were false. They were saying things like this, and they revolved around denial. They denied that Jesus is the Christ, John writes in chapter 2. 
And for them, the specific definition that they were giving to Jesus not being the Christ was this. Jesus did not actually come in the flesh. The eternal Son did not become incarnate. He didn't cloak himself in flesh. He didn't come from heaven to earth living a life. They also denied the existence of sin. So not only did they say Jesus is not the Christ, that Jesus had not come in the flesh... When it came to the category of sin, they also just flat out denied the existence of sin. They said, sin, this, this thing that you might hear some people talk about, it doesn't really affect us in the way that we relate to God. It doesn't cause disfellowship with God. Don't, don't think of yourselves as sinners and, and have categories for sin. And so they came deceiving the people, John said. Teaching falsity as truth. And John isn't going to have any of this. And it's for this reason he calls the believers to let no one deceive you in these matters. So there was a problem that was going on. And the truth is some of these problems exist today. All you have to do is go into the workplace and go to the water cooler the next time you're having a break in between, in between some work. And if you just, you know, take that little water bottle, pour some little some water into your cup and just lean up against it and be like, hey man, has anyone ever told you about the sin that separates you from God? You're going to get an interesting reaction. It's going to be one of this, just utter disbelief. Sin. Like there's just no categories for sin. Jesus come in the flesh? Like what, what rock did you crawl out of? Jesus coming in the flesh, sin. These are categories that for the most part the world sees simply as false. And so when John speaks into these realities of what this problem is about, they have some carryover for us today. So there was a problem. We need to know this in regard to 1 John. The second thing we need to see is this, is that John's letter is pastoral. So what you're not going to do is see John come and start to write to people and just drop a hammer over and over again on people's head. This isn't an angry letter from an apostle. What he's doing is he has in mind these people who are genuine believers in these churches that he's writing to. And the way that you see this idea of John's pastoral care for his readers is through the, the way that he repeats the word beloved and little children. I'm going to encourage you and challenge you at the end of the sermon to, if you're not reading the Bible regularly right now, or if you're just looking for something to read, is that when we go through 1 John from now until August, is that you do, if you're doing other things, do your other things as well, but to take up the challenge of just saying, I'm going to stick my nose into the pages of 1 John, and I want to know 1 John well by the time we wrap up this sermon series. And if you do this, you're going to see this. John loves to repeat phrases. Phrases like light, life, love. Phrases like beloved and little children. Over and over again, he's going to constantly, in a very pastoral, fatherly way, say, beloved, little little children, listen to these things. Don't be deceived by these problems that these false teachers are, are saying, these denials that they're putting forward as truth. John is coming from a very pastoral background. He's not writing as a way merely to just debunk the false teachers, but he's writing as a way to encourage true believers who are in these churches. And so in light of those who are denying that Jesus had come in the flesh, John called his readers to remember what he had experienced with his hard, with his hard senses. 
We're going to see this in a little bit, but he's going to come to them and say, listen, these people are saying Jesus didn't come to the flesh, but what you need to know is this. I have heard this Jesus. I have seen this Jesus. I have touched this Jesus. He's going to come from the avenue of first-person eyewitness saying, listen, I know what they're saying, but you have to listen to me. Remember what you have been taught. Remember what you have believed. I have heard. I have seen and I have touched. And in light of those who were just flat out denying the existence of sin, John called his readers to remember that those who claim to know God, those who claim to live in Christ, those who claim to be in the light while living in sin or just flat out denying sin, John is going to use some very pointed words. He's just going to say, listen, they're liars. It's impossible to say, I'm in Christ. I know God, I'm walking in the light as He is in the light, but this idea of sin, no big deal. Me having sin, no way. John says, listen, there is an extreme disconnect in their life. Extreme disconnect in life. These people are liars, he says. The claim to be in Christ is the claim to fully recognize your sin, not deny your sin. It's to fully recognize you need someone to cleanse you of your sin, not say, sin, I've got no sin. And so no matter how you slice it, John is going to be pointed in his pastoral care for these beloved little children, these people under his pastoral care, but he's also going to carry um, a very soft pastoral hand as well, calling them to remember what they received from the beginning and to remain steadfast in it. So, John was a pastor. He has a very pastoral hand. He was addressing a problem, but he was writing with purpose as well. He was writing with purpose as well. So, John didn't one day get up, have a wild night of eating Taco John or Taco Bell, have an extreme like gut hangover and be like, man, I am so, what in the world is going on? I don't know. Let's just write something to somebody. Start writing it out. Like, uh, that, that's not how it happened. John writes with purpose. And again, one of those repeated phrases that show up all over 1 John, you're smart people, you know how to, to read your Bible. I put it before you, go and read your Read your Bible, and one of the things you're going to see in 1 John is this repeated phrase, I am writing to you. Over and over again, he says, I'm writing this to you. I'm writing this to you. I'm writing this so you understand this. I'm writing this so you see this. I'm writing this so you know this. I'm writing. I'm writing. I'm writing. Over and over again, he says, I, I don't want you to, to just read this and go like, I don't really know what he's after. Over and over again, John says, I am writing to you. John wrote this letter with purpose, and he wanted his readers to be able to sit down, start in chapter 1, go all the way through to chapter 5, close their Bible and say, I don't know much, but I know these things to be true about what John wants me to get from his letter. And when you look at 1 John, what you see is that John wrote his letter for at least three reasons. At least three reasons. We're going to see the first one this morning in chapter 1, verse 4. John says, I am writing to you for the sake of joy. For the sake of joy. We're supposed to read 1 John and walk away being fueled in our walk with Christ so that we may know joy more fully. So that our mutual joy may be complete is what John writes. 
The second thing John says in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I am writing to you for the sake of holiness. I'm writing to you so that you may not sin. Again, remember, part of the problem in the churches that John was writing to is people were saying, sin, not a big deal. Like, it's totally okay to claim to be in Jesus and at the same time just live a life that is just marked by outright devotion towards sin, if they even believe and have a category for sin. And John says, no, listen, the the way that we walk as authentic believers is not to deny sin, but is to recognize we do sin. We are separated by God in the way that we think, speak, and do. And he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And the third thing John says is this, I'm writing to you for the sake of assurance. And I think this is the big breadwinner. This is the money shot here with 1 John. 1 John is a letter of certainty. It's a letter of assurance. You're meant to read this letter and walk away going, man, I know some things to be true as revealed from God himself. And you get to the very end of the letter, chapter 5, verse 13, John says, I am writing to you for the sake of assurance. Why? So that you may know you have eternal life. Eternal life. It's one of those favorite phrases of the Apostle John. He wants you to know that you can know that you actually know God. And he says, when you read this letter, starting in chapter 1, wrapping up in chapter 5, closing your Bible, part of the way that he wants you to respond is like, man, again, I just don't know many things, but I do know this. I know that I am in Christ. Joy. Holiness. Assurance. These are the things that John wants us to know as, as we read his letter. Now, the good news is that many of us find ourselves in a place where we struggle with the assurance of joy. We struggle with the assurance of holiness. And we struggle with the assurance of eternal life. We say, man, I don't even know that I'm positive about these things. Believers struggle with these questions, and definitely unbelievers struggle with these questions if, they even just have, if you even might even have categories for these things. For many of us, many things in life, they just come to us with just no guarantee, right? Like the only thing that's guaranteed is the uncertainty we have about the things we, we don't understand. To experience life is just unavoidably, it is inevitable that our experiences of life is just going to come with questions. And many of those questions go unanswered, which lead us to the place of just flat-out uncertainty. Believer, unbeliever. And what John is doing is writing and saying this, listen, there are things that we can know. See, some of us here might just be asking questions like this. Can we know the truth about the world? John says we can He's going to answer that question. Can we know the truth about the condition of the world? John says, yes, you can. Can we know the truth about ourselves and the way we are outside of Christ and in Christ? John says, you can. Can we know our destiny? Like, what's going to be the end of all things for ourselves and for this world? John says, you can know this. He's going to talk about it in his letter. Can we know the truth about God? John says, yes. Can we know the truth about Christ? John says, yes. 
Can we know why Christ came to earth? Can we just know who Christ is? John says yes. Can we know the certainty of what will happen to us after we die? John says yes. Can we know the certainty of eternal life for ourselves? John says yes. Can we know if we do or do not have this eternal life, which he is certain we can have? John says yes. See, if you've ever had these questions or questions like these, there's good news for you and there's good news for me. It is possible to ask these types of questions and to get firm answers. In 1 John, we have a book of the Bible that speaks a word of confident assurance to our lives. In 1 John, we can know with certainty who Christ is and why he came. In 1 John, we can know with certainty the truth about our own Christian standing. And over again, John simply drives this home with another phrase that is just on repeat over and over and over. You're going to see him say, by By this we know, by this we know, we can know for sure these sorts of things. And John teaches us that we can know Christ. We can know that we are children of God who have passed from death to life. And what's so beautiful about this is that John just doesn't say, listen, you can know these things, hope you figure out whether you know it or not. For most of us, we've heard 1 John presented in this kind of language. It sort of becomes like a book of tests. Like if someone has ever come to you, I mean, this is how it was presented to me growing up as, as a new believer. Like, listen, you have doubts about Christianity, have doubts about your faith, have doubts whether you're actually saved or not, whether you are in Christ or outside of Christ or not. Go read First John. First John is a book of assurance. It's a book of tests. And if you want to know whether or not you actually know Jesus in a saving way, read First John and you'll be able to understand these things. And that's true. And that's what we're going to talk about here right now before we, we move on to our, our thoughts from these first four verses. Um, that's not the main point, as I hopefully have been establishing, but it is one of the points to the book of 1 John. So when John uses this language, by this we know, what's so beautiful about 1 John is that over the course of this letter, the apostle gives us three tests at least by which we can gauge ourselves, check ourselves against to see whether or not we have the assurance of being in Christ. So when we come against these tests, come against these checks coming from Scripture, what we're meant to do is see them and go, I see what the Bible says about this, that if I am thinking this way, believing this way, or behaving this way, then I will be able to tell whether I'm in Christ or outside of Christ, whether I know God or whether I do not know God, whether I have been saved or whether I have not been saved. And those three tests are really simple. It's the faith test, the holiness test, and the love test. It's those three that he's going to give us. And you're going to see these three tests just crop up repeatedly as you work your way through these scriptures. So, for instance, John is going to say something along these lines. It's important for us to know that we have right belief, that our faith is actually resting in the Jesus that is defined for us in the scriptures. There's a lot of people, if you just go out into the world and go, do you believe in Jesus? Some people are going to be like, no. Some people are going to say yes. And if you begin to press them on how they define their faith in this Jesus, what is the object of their faith? What is their faith resting upon this Jesus? And as they begin to define this Jesus, 
what quickly becomes apparent is he's completely opposite of the Jesus that's revealed in Scriptures. They're going to say things about Jesus. They're going to trust and rest in Jesus, but their Jesus is not the biblical Jesus. And John is going to say things like this. Listen, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Father has the Son also. There's a lot of people who float under the banner of religion who say they love Jesus, give themselves to Jesus, have a category for a historical Jesus, but they flat out deny that Jesus has come in the flesh, and they flat out deny that Jesus has anything to do with the Father. And the Bible says clearly here in 1 John, they fail the faith test because their faith in this Jesus is not the biblical Jesus. And one of the tests that's going to be put forward in front of you and me is this. Are we trusting and resting in the biblical Jesus as defined in the Scriptures? The other test is the holiness test. Not only are we supposed to have right belief, but we're supposed to have right behavior that matches up with our right belief. Right behavior which matches up with our right belief. So you flip over to somewhere like chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, and John writes this, and by this we know, so there's his words again, you can be assured you are in Christ, by this we can know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Here it is again. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. All of us have a category for this. There's people who say, I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. I am in Christ. I know God. But the belief of their head and the words of their mouth are entirely disconnected from their life. Their actions six days a week are entirely contrary to everything that looks like a true belief in Jesus Christ. So their behavior is not matching their belief. And John says this, these people are walking around fully assured, I'm good with Jesus. But their life is not matching up with their confession. And John says, that's a scary place to be. That's a scary place to be. The last one is just simply something called the love test. So not only are we supposed to have right belief, the faith test... Not only are we supposed to have behavior that matches with this right belief, the holiness test, but the other test he's going to give us is this. It's not enough just to say, I know the love of God and God's love has been poured out on me, but if you just go walking around doing whatever you want to do, not extending that love out towards others. Chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, John says, Beloved, there's that word again, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
And so these are the three tests that John is going to give us. And when you add up these ingredients of problem, pastoral, purpose, and assurance, when you look at these three tests that you find just floating back and forth from chapter 1 to chapter 5, I think what you begin to get is a category of answers that help us understand the why of 1 John on why we should give ourselves to 1 John. In some way, shape, or form, I am convinced that all of us, whether believer or unbeliever, I'm convinced that in some way we can all find ourselves in this letter bumping into some of these categories somehow. Some of you are struggling and having doubts with your faith. Some of you are truly trying to figure out this Jesus thing. Some of you are truly trying to grow in your assurance. Some of you are struggling in the realm of holiness, right Christian conduct that comes from genuine faith in Christ. Some of you are just joyless. You say you love Jesus, but to look at your life and to look at your words and to look at your actions, you just look like you're just completely lacking anything. It looks like joy in Jesus. And some of us are just in between all of these things somehow, some way. First John is for you, and First John is for us. I believe that we find ourselves in this letter, all of us in some way, and we find ourselves in need of being able to hear what God has to say to us from his word. So First John, that, that was my attempt. You can judge whether or not I baited the hook and said it, said it good enough for us. Um, but that is why I think we need to give ourselves over to the study of First John. So that was my introduction, Charles Campbell there. We had a good discussion the last time I said that. Um, but here's what we're going to do. In, about, in the remainder of our time, what I want us to do is just look at these first four verses. Because again, I want us to be able to leave with a word from these verses. And what I want to do is just hit three high-level thoughts, and then we're going to give a response. So what are some three thoughts that we can walk away with in these first four verses? If you look down into verse 3, what you get there is the main idea of these four verses. And it's when John says this, we proclaim to you. John's whole aim in this little prologue to his letter found in verse 3 is this, I'm going to proclaim some stuff to you. He starts by proclaiming here in these first four verses, and then the rest of his letter is nothing but gospel proclamation concerning the word of life, which is what he says back up in verse 1. John's point is proclamation of the gospel concerning the word of life. He's going to tell us that Jesus is the word of life. And as such, this word of life is worthy to proclaim And John is going to say elsewhere that I have seen these things, I've experienced these things, and it qualifies me to be able to testify to them, he says. He's going to become a witness for the word of life that he experienced. And so what I just simply want to do is just give you these three high-level thoughts. We'll just unpack them really quick, and then we'll move towards our response. And the three things I want you to see from these verses is this. The word of life is eternal. The word of life has appeared And the word of life brings fellowship and joy. The word of life is eternal. The word of life has appeared. And the word of life brings fellowship and joy. So when you look at verse 1, what's John on about? This, the word of life is eternal. Concerning the word of life, that which was from the beginning. Jesus is the Son of God. 
He is the eternal one. He is the one that was from the beginning. And not only is Jesus Christ the eternal son, but he is the eternal son who has come in the flesh. This incarnation did not happen in the corner. The word became flesh and it was experienced by John through the hard senses of hearing, seeing, and touching. We've touched on this a little while ago. John isn't just saying these things because he's got nothing else to say. This isn't third person, fifth person, tenth person hearsay. This wasn't, man, I I was sort of in Jerusalem at the time, and I didn't really know what was going on, but there were sort of these whispers in the corners of Jerusalem, and, well, I mean, somebody's got to write about it. No, he says this, listen, I have heard this eternal one speak. I have seen this eternal one cloaked in flesh with my very eyes. I have looked upon him, and I have touched the flesh and the bones of this eternal word of life made manifest here before us. And that's why he goes on to his second point in verse 2 when he says, not only is this word of life, Jesus, eternal, but this word of life has appeared. So when you look at verse 2, John mentions that twice, the beginning of the verse and the end of the verse. The life was made manifest. He was made manifest to us. Your Bible might say he appeared to us. So what he's saying is this, the eternal Son of God didn't remain up in the heavens. The eternal Son of God took on flesh, took on blood, took on bones, took on hair, took on cartilage, took on sinews, took on nerves, took on the fullness of humanity, and He has appeared to us. The eternal has been manifested to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Again, John has seen this word of life, he says, and it is this fact alone which qualifies him to testify to this word. He says, that which was from the beginning, who is the word of life, is also the eternal life which was with the Father. And the sense that you're supposed to get from verses 1 and 2 when you roll them up together is this, that John's mind is just blown. Like we've seen him. He's looking right into the face of the people and he's connecting what he knows to be true with the problem. Remember the problem in, that was going on at these churches? People are saying, Jesus not come in the flesh. And he's looking at him going, no, I've seen him. I've touched him. I've heard him. I've witnessed this manifestation of the eternal Son of God. He's taking the problem that these false teachers were creating and he's going right at them and saying, I know what they're saying, but remember what you have believed from the beginning which is another phrase that he says a couple times in this letter. And what he's going to do is counteract their false teaching by reminding his readers that he has heard, seen, looked upon, touched, seen, seen, heard. He says all those in those first three, three verses. I think he wants us to understand something. John has actually witnessed this. And he's just not speaking from mere happenstance or just by for no other reason. He's saying, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm a first-person eyewitness. First-person eyewitness carries the day in the court of law in a murder trial. Someone who was there, who has seen, who has heard, who has touched, that person's testimony is meant to seal the deal. I saw this person do it. I heard it. I was there. The visceral nature of it, I touched it. And what we're meant to do is read this and go, man, 
uh, John, I'm going to pay attention a little bit more, man. If I had questions or doubts about his ability to be able to speak truth and words of assurance and words of holiness and words of joy, I'm now convinced a little bit more because he was actually there. That's what he's supposed to, that's what he's trying to get us to do to, to see, bring that assurance aspect to us so that we can rest in the realities of Scripture. John is not inventing the Bible. He's simply reporting what he has seen. And so having heard and seen and touched the Lord Jesus, John simply moves on in verses 3 and 4. He's going to proclaim the gospel with purpose. He wants us to see that the word of life brings fellowship and joy. So again, he's already addressed the problem issue, and he's going to do it some more in verses 1 and 2. He's already addressed the assurance issue in verses 1 and 2. And one of the, reasons, one of the things that we said that why we need to understand and read First John is this idea of purpose. And this is what we're going to see in verses 3 and 4. So when John finally gets back at it in verse 3, he says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. Why? Why is he doing this? Verse 4, we are writing these things to you. Why? Why, John, are you going to take time to write to us? Why are you taking the time to proclaim something to us? Why? Answer, so that you may have fellowship with us as we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. I'm writing these things to you. Why? So that our mutual joy, your joy and my joy, may be complete as we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, thus having fellowship with each other. And there it is. Purpose. You and I are meant to read this and bump into this so that if we don't have fellowship in a saving way with the Father through the Son, we can become those who have fellowship with the Father and through the Son. And as we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son in a vertical way, it is meant to create fellowship in the horizontal way with those of us who have fellowship with the Father through the Son. And our joy is meant to be made complete. My joy in you, you joy in me, our joy partnering with John as John had joy for us. It's meant to be a joy-fueled experience as we sit and soak under the realities that the eternal Son of God has been made manifest and we can know something about Him. And His Word has something for you and it has something for me. This is what John is on about. This prologue's pastoral, it tackles a problem, it brings assurance, and it is written with purpose, the purpose of bringing fellowship and joy. So how do you respond to something like this? It's really at least just two ways. If you're a believer here, I think what, you, what I want you to know is this, that 1 John was written for you. 1 John was written for you. Written for you so that you may be assured of joy, so that you may be assured of holiness, and so that you may be assured of eternal life. This book is going to be a challenge for some of us. Because there's going to be times when John isn't going to mince words. He's going to come right out and say, listen, bro, I know you're saying one thing with your mouth, but your entire life looks like hell. And you're sitting around claiming Jesus as your Savior. John's going to go, big problem. For some of us, we're going to read these things and it's going to maybe cause us to have to think more than we've thought before. We're going to bump into these tests. Am I believing right things about Jesus according to Scripture? 
Is my life a life of holiness, one that looks like I actually follow and have Jesus as my Savior? Is my life just lived for me? Or does the love the Father has shown me, does it actually work itself out on the horizontal in love towards others? John doesn't want us to just sort of like, you know, read this. Well, that was sort of a good letter. Going out. He wants you to sit and actually think, draw conclusions. And for those of us who are believers, over the course of these many weeks, it's my genuine prayer for you and me that God, through His Word, will grow us into the rock-solid certainty of these things. Some of us are going to walk away going, man, the tests, I see them, they're corroborating what I thought to be true, that I am in Christ. I see that I'm believing right things about Jesus. I see that, yes, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, by His grace, living in light of the gospel, that I am walking in holiness, I'm walking in the light as He is in the light, to the, to the best of Christ's ability within me, I have got the love of the Father through the Son. I'm living out that love on the horizontal plane towards the brothers and sisters who are in Christ. And what we're going to do is we're going to come to that place of assurance where we go, man, I, I don't know much, but I do know this. I am, I am in Christ. His saving grace has been applied to me. I've been obedient to the gospel, and I'm walking in the light as He is in the light. My hope is that if you don't have a place where you're reading the Bible consistently, If you don't have a place where you're just trying to understand the Scriptures, I'm going to invite you to read 1 John week in and week out, day in and day out, on repeat, over and over again. When August comes, say this, I don't know much of the Bible, but I do know 1 John. That's my challenge for you if you are the believer. If you're an unbeliever, it's the exact same thing for you. You must know this as well. 1 John is written for you so that you may find true joy, which is found in Christ alone, so that you may find true holiness which comes from Christ alone, so that you may find eternal life as you rest your faith in Jesus Christ alone. John wants you to be able to read the Scriptures and understand this. Concerning the word of life, that which was from the beginning has come, cloaked in flesh, lived the perfect life that you should have lived but didn't, died the death you should have died but didn't because he died it and took that death in your place, was buried, stuck into the ground, only three days later to be resurrected in newness of life, showing that he is the one who's got the victory over Satan, he's the one who's got the victory over sin, and he's the one who got the victory over death. And the invitation for you is to see these words from these scriptures and to come and respond in this way, a response of faith, putting your trust and rest in Jesus, that what he accomplished on the cross has made a way for you to have fellowship with the Father, with the Son, so that your joy and our joy may be complete. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for these words. God, I mean, they're just a challenge for me as well. I don't stand um, on top of these scriptures, but these scriptures are just even speaking words of assurance to me, speaking words of challenge to me. And so my prayer is that you, Father, would use these next multiple weeks 
to build up within us a right way of thinking, a right belief that matches with right behavior, that you would build up within us these categories of holiness, these categories of joy, these categories of assurance, that for any of us who are struggling and wrestling with questions, that we would not run from Christ, but that we would run to Christ as portrayed here specifically in this letter of First John. God, do this great work in us. We are desperately in need of you doing it in us. And I pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.